everybody. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is episode 70 of Fried Squirms, where we are going to be talking about Tremors. Dude, I'm <clears throat> really excited for this episode. I know I say that on a lot of episodes, but this one in particular, it hits home. Oh man, I agree. Let me see. Do you have anything from this week before we get into this, though? Yeah, there's a couple of bits of information. I know every now and then we like to give our audience some updates, some news, things of that nature. I'll start off with some good news, and then I'll unfortunately have to end it on a couple of bits of bad news. God damn it. I know, right? So the first bit of good news is for those who do enjoy a little film called Pet Cemetery, there is a remake in the works. It's the directors of a film called Starry Night, and there's two actors that have already been named as parts. One is Jason Clark. He was going to be playing Lewis Creed, who is the father of the family in Pet Cemetery. And John Lithgow is that nodded really to play excited. Judd Crandall, which that role alone and that credit alone might have pulled me in to maybe checking it out. So that was kind of neat. They've got a couple of people already on board. The directors are some heavy names, but they're well-known. They're making some claims already. They're yeah. saying this might be the scariest Stephen King adaptation ever. I hope so. I'll put it this way. I know we haven't covered it, but we've talked about Stephen King a lot, and Pet Cemetery is one of those films I grew up watching, and man, it's going to be tough to top some of the shit that pulled off in that film. And you know what? You said we haven't done it yet, but there are plans. <laughs> yeah, there Before is. we get too much further into this year, you guys are going to be hearing us cover Pet Cemetery. So, yeah, and, I'm and really that, was, that. that was planned before they even announced that they were doing this Oh, long reboot. before that. We've had that. <laughs> plan for months so i mean the fact that they're doing this reboot just has me super excited that yeah. we were even thinking of doing it in the first place so what is really cool here's something that's interesting kind of re relative to us too is that it has a targeted release date of april 19th for next year oh it might be a good 420 episodes when i'm getting that that's right <laughs> all right so that's some good news there's two bits of bad information i have to share because you know we talk about actors and actresses oh can i guess I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to make it into a game because it is bad news, but I have <laughs> yeah. a feeling I know what at least one of them is. So, with that being Toxie. Said, yeah. The actor who played Toxie in the Toxic Avenger Part 2 and 3, John Altamora, passed away on May the 4th. Fortunately, the Force was not with him on that day. From what I understand, I think his sister announced that he had a heart attack. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hadn't heard any, any of the official... That's what did him mm -hmm. in. The other one is kind of a unknown credit, but I figured it was one definitely worth mentioning. So there was an actor named Noble Craig. He was known for being an actor who was a creature slash monster, the person behind the costume. Oh, okay. what I'm getting at. Yeah. <clears throat> so with that, he passed He's away. He's like Doug Jones. <laughs> he certainly is. Maybe not as many credits, but some really interesting credit. He passed away just a few days ago. You might have recognized him, maybe not personally, but by some of his roles as the sewer monster in Big Trouble in Little China. He was the puddle soldier in The Blob. He played the merging Freddy in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. He was a reanimated crypt creature in The Bride of Reanimator. He was also in a film called from 1973 he was a snake man and he was also the vomit creature in poltergeist part two the other side so from one understood he kind of had a rather interesting life and i'd like to know a little bit more about how he got into performing as just like a, a creature person in some of these films but 
Yeah, unfortunately, he's another one of those who has passed away. He was a part of some major franchises and some pretty big names, too, in terms of directors. All right, so can I bring the room up a little bit? Yeah, and then definitely. before we get on to Tremors, I have, I think, it looks like two pieces of good news here okay, good. and maybe a little <laughs> bit of speculation, too. Well, let's start with the speculation okay. first because that'll be a transition from bad news into good news. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <clears throat> The first part of the speculation is, unfortunately, is anchored in bad news with the cancellation of Ash vs. Evil Dead and Bruce Campbell saying he's retiring being Ash, basically. From that, who knows if anything will happen, but more and more rumors seem to be popping up about an Evil Dead 2 from Fede Alvarez. I would be totally on board with that if that's the case. Continuing Mia's story. I'm quite alright with that. Which, I mean, I just have fucking fingers crossed. Yeah, that that's speculation. Be awesome that's, the case. that's hope. I know that Fede Alvarez even put out, like, which would you rather see, Evil Dead 2 or Don't Breathe 2? And oh, everyone was like, like fucking Dead Evil Dead. Everybody yeah. was like, give us Evil Dead. I mean, I'll say this. I do like Don't Breathe a lot. I think it was a pretty strong film, but. Compared to the Evil Dead, shit, <laughs> shit. Good luck. I'm all in for Mia. If we're not going to get Bruce anymore, that yeah. Evil Dead remake is fucking amazing in my books. I totally I agree love with that. that movie. When I first got a Blu-ray player, that was one of the first Blu-rays yeah. I picked up. That's definitely a good one to have. Yeah, kind of going into that without divulging too much, is I went with a friend. Before I actually moved up here to Montana, and I kind of had some reservations. I was like, I kind of think it's going to be super gory, and that was part of the appeal. But I was kind of like unsure of what they were going to do. Like, is this going to be a complete remake or a retelling? I was pleasantly surprised. I think it took me probably two or three solid watches to really appreciate the entirety of the film. But I mean, I enjoyed the shit out of it after I left the theater. And then on to... More and more good, good news. news. <laughs> right. This one is semi-rooted in horror, but they just announced that there is going to be a live-action Swamp Thing series. Nice. Oh, um, yeah. It ties in for us because the creator of Swamp Thing was in a movie that we got to cover through some of the most amazing of circumstances. <laughs> Isn't it odd how that works? Right? We got to talk about, was it Len Wein or Len Wein? I remember I was saying it wrong <sighs> and then... Dude, I think... And then way, we got corrected... I want to by say listening to the, and that, I want to but say now it's been too long. Anyway, who unfortunately passed not all too long ago within the past year. Also the creator of like Wolverine and a bunch yeah, of other things. Awesome characters. He was in Savage Land, an amazing movie. We got little indie flick that we got yeah. to cover. We got to talk to one of the director slash writers slash producers. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the shit out um, of that. Please go like listen to that. Please yeah. go check out I Savage it's Land. It's still available on Amazon Prime if you have that. We both really enjoyed that movie. We certainly did. But we get a tie in there, as well as the fact that the executive producer on this project is going to be James Wan. Oh, wow. Cool. Who, of course... With the Saw franchise. Right. He... Saw, Insidious, The Conjuring. Yeah, exactly. Um, some big hitters there. <clears throat> then he did, like, Furious 7. He's currently doing Aquaman. Oh, shit, nice. But he's going to be the executive producer, the actual showrunners that are sort of be going to craft the show from week to week, and I think are going to be... The, they're being credited currently as the writers because it sounds like everything's kind of early in the process. I think I saw something else where they're going to be the showrunners, and there'll probably be more writers brought in I'd as imagine well. as the project progresses, uh, yeah. But by Mark Verheiden and Gary Doberman. Verheiden did like 
has written on Daredevil and Battlestar Galactica. But Doberman is an interesting horror credit. He helped write It. Swamp Thing, of course, has its roots. Eh, Swamp Thing's roots. (laughs) In horror comics. It does. One of the best issues of the comic still reads like a horror comic the anatomy lesson written nice. by alan moore so it's going to be interesting to see how the show actually shapes up hmm. considering uh, those credits yeah i know that they've already said that there's going to be a bit of a gothic romance in it but we'll see how dark they actually end up going well cool it's been a while since they've had anything kind of swamp thingy ish so yeah it's oh and of course we had like the west craven movie back in the day yeah oh yeah for sure yeah and the other thing, FX has officially ordered a first season of a television show based off of what we do in the shadows. Oh, yeah, I have heard about that. That's going to be awesome. Ten episode first season at FX, expected to debut spring of next year. We haven't talked much about what we do in the shadows yet oh, on this show, but we both love it. We are probably going to cover it at some point, even though it's definitely way more on the comedy side than what we normally do. It's not like we haven't done a comedy before. That's right, but (laughs) (laughs) that's absolutely true. We did. Still relative to the show. You're talking to the people who covered Repossessed on here. So what we do in the shadows (laughs) will also be coming up in the future, especially before the television show comes out. So we can try to convince some of you that haven't watched the movie yet to watch it to prepare for the show. Please do. It's worth it, regardless. Now I'm done talking about shit that isn't Tremors. We should probably get to it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. as far as my week has gone, that catches me up to speed. I don't really have anything to add. This week was kind of boring. So well, cool. I'm looking forward to number 70, Tremors. Guts and bolts. <laughs> yeah. Episode 70, Tremors, Guts and Bolts. So, what we like to do before we divulge too much into what went into the film, who was behind the scenes, who was in front of the camera, we do like to give you a brief synopsis. Ooh, 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 ooh. I've been thinking of this one. So. Yes, Tyler. In this day and age, this could almost like go like some sort of fucking movie trailer, because before Ouija, the movie... Before Truth or Dare, the movie, there was The Ground is Lava, the movie. (laughs) That's fucking funny. Goddamn right. That is very appropriate, especially if you're a kid and who's ever played that game. With monsters. That's awesome. That's funny. (laughs) That is very accurate, too, by the way. And bacon. All right, so there's a good brief synopsis. This film came out in 1990. It is a part of a United States production. All right, so what I like to do before we start talking about our actors is talk about the people behind the scenes, the people who actually helped direct, write, etc. So I'll start with our director. We have a gentleman, Ron Underwood, if I'm not mistaken. I believe this is his first film that he directed. So after he did Tremors, he went on to do films such as Heart and Souls, which stars a Mr. Iron Man, Robert Downey. Oh, so... 
this guy's career is kind of a, an amazing one. As soon as I realized that it was Ron Underwood that did this, I started laughing really hard because Ron Underwood did Tremors, which we both have already alluded to the fact we love this movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure, dude. Have for a long time. He then followed it up, not with Heart and Souls, but with City Slickers. He did. Yeah. And City was... Slickers is an incredible movie. We talked about that a little bit. At least we alluded to it when we did our Chud episode because of Daniel Stern. Which then Heart and Souls, really then Speechless, then Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> yep. Which, that's kind of funny in its own. After Mighty Joe Young... I do have a film written down. He was the director on a little movie called The Adventures of Pluto Nash, which I believe is the second biggest box office bomb of yeah. all time, right it's, behind John Carter. It's funny in a sense. <laughs> I saw some clickbait article that was talking about, you know, like top 10 biggest flops in Hollywood. And sure enough, yeah, Adventures of Pluto Nash. And that was an Eddie Murphy film. That movie is... Eight. Yeah, and it's got an insane story behind it. I think they were trying to make it for like 15 years, which might explain some uh, of the script. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense if you look at it from that angle. It was like the producer's pet project or the writer's pet project for a long fucking time or something. And Jesus. I have actually seen that movie probably like four or five times. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, on HBO. I've maybe seen it once, maybe twice. <laughs> on HBO. Yeah. No, I didn't fucking pay for that movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> that is funny. All right, so Ron went on to do a lot of television series. Some of the ones I have written down that are probably his more well-known are he did some episodes on the show Monk from 2003. He did a few episodes of Grey's Anatomy. You might have seen some of his work on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, he's done stuff like Ugly Betty. He's done stuff like No Ordinary Family, Hellcats. And he's done a lot of kind of television work in general he did three episodes of reaper and i really dug that show and really wish that it wouldn't have got canceled it was probably one of my favorite versions of the devil ever damn and uh, tyler labine in a great fucking comedic role yeah tyler is really good we talked about him as socks yeah on our bale and tucker episode so check that out man tyler labine's really good he's funny canadian <laughs> all right so Along with directing, Mr. Underwood was a part of a team who helped write this film. The other writers were S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock. They were part of a production company, and I also believe they were a writing team. The reason I say that is when I looked at some of their credits, they shared a lot of credits in common. And some of those credits are movies such as Short Circuit 1 and 2. Johnny Five is alive. Yeah. They also wrote the screenplay for a film called Batteries Not Included. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's kind of an unknown 80s classic, in my opinion. All right. They also wrote a film that now we might <laughs> have to give a little warning. Uh, the Barry Sonnenfeld I've got actually, masterpiece. I've got one a little. It's a little deeper cut than that. Oh, oh, okay. I was gonna say because they wrote they wrote Wild Wild West. They certainly did. But Before I think I know that, where you're going. They wrote a uh, same Bill year Cosby as this. film entitled Ghost Dad, starring. Well, we just talked about Mr. Cosby, who's in some fucking hot water right now for good reason. You're right. They also went on to write the Wild Wild West. They also were responsible for basically all the Tremors movies, one through four, all the way up to the television series. 
Let's not forget one of the most insane things about Ghost Dad is doesn't he get killed by like a satanic Nazi in the very beginning? I think you're right. I haven't seen that film probably <laughs> since it first fucking came out. I was a kid. Isn't literally. it like a satanic Nazi? It wouldn't surprise <laughs> sh- it would not surprise me considering what the fuck we've seen in the news lately. <laughs> Alright. Alright, so these are our writers. Our cinematographer on this film is Alexander Gruzinski. He's done some interesting work, and there's a few I mentioned because you and I both like football. There's some pop culture figures from certain time periods, so some of the cinematography work I've got him responsible for is one film called Stone Cold, and it starred a football player, Brian Bosworth. I think this came out like in early 90s. The Boz, yeah, so for those who are familiar... There was also a Macaulay Culkin film called The Page Master that he oh. was retired. Yeah, he was responsible for that. <sighs> Shit, Jesse, that's for you. Yeah, dude. Page so Master you know. it up, son. So now you know, know who the cinematographer listening. is. <laughs> I know you're listening. Page Master. <laughs> Write it down. Quiz us. Page Master. Uh, I had the uh, Page Master Game Boy game. No shit. Yeah. It's a pretty decent And I film. still remember going and seeing it in theaters. Decent film, like it yeah. for kids. Oh, shit. Fucking somebody reboot Page Master right now with today's special effects. That movie would be fucking boss. It could definitely be due for one. Yeah, I agree. One film I want to mention in particular is one I really enjoy. It's got a killer soundtrack. It's a film called Angus. Came out like ninety five, oh, I think. Shit. I love Angus. See, well, when Angus came out in nineteen ninety five, yeah, my best friend was named Angus. Oh, sweet! So we got down to that movie quite a bit, as I like you can the movie imagine. A lot. Yeah, it's a good kind of tween movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoy it. He was also the cinematographer on the film The Craft, which I think we need to cover. Oh, movie. The Craft is a fantastic movie. Yeah, he went on to do films such as Maximum Risk, which I believe stars Claude Van Damme. That is. <laughs> He did a film called 54, which is about Studio 54. It has, like, Ryan Felipe and Selma Hayek and uh, I think Nev Campbell's in it. It's a few others. It's kind of interesting. I mean, you keep skipping over his masterpiece. Oh, he did... Uh, Medea Goes to Jail. He did Medea's <laughs> Witness Protection. Tyler Perry's Medea Goes to yeah. Jail. <laughs> also did Medea's Christmas. And I have another film written down, Deliver Us from Eva. Our editor on this film... You keep forgetting Tyler Perry's in front of oh, all of those. <laughs> Tyler Perry's Medea. Exactly. <laughs> They're fun films, man. There's a couple of my family members enjoy it. All right. So the editor on this film is O. Nicholas Brown. O. I think is for Orval. <laughs> so I, I can see why he just wants to go by O. Some of the films that he did are some really cool films. There was a, an older film called Sleeper from the 70s. He's known for doing work on that. He went on to do films such as Rambo Part 3, Marked for Death. He helped with City Slickers, a film we need to cover. It's been covered probably several times before, one we like to make fun of a little bit. A film called Sleepwalkers. <laughs> oh, Jesus. He was also the editor on films such as Free Willy. Can you imagine having to edit that piece of shit, Sleepwalkers? <laughs> <laughs> he pulled it off. Right, he did a film starring Polly Shore in the Army Now, a film with I believe is it, or is it Billy, Billy Zane. Zane, the Phantom. Oh, he also did films such as Wild America. We talked about JTT oh, right. and Devon Sawa in that film. Ten Things I Hate About You. You might have seen some of his work on Operation Dumbo Drop, and a film starring Paul Hogan. Yes, I am talking about Crocodile Dundee, but not that film. He edited the film Lightning Jack. Oh. Yeah, which is an interesting little film. 
Interesting's space. a word. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not bad. It's not a bad film. It's kind of one of those 90s films, man. You've seen a million times before. Anyhow, our music was done by Ernest Troost. I went back in his catalog a little bit because he's got quite a few credits, but there was a few in particular I wanted to write down. So there looked like an 80s film called The Munchies. I was like, damn, that's relative to us for several reasons. <laughs> but it was a creature feature. And uh, from what I understand, it's kind of like a cheap knockoff of some other films that were done around that time period. He's also composed music for films such as Dead Heat, a film called Mom. Some of these are like horror films. So Mom, I believe, is a werewolf film. That was like in the late oh. 80s, early 90s. Yeah. You might have heard some of his music in the film Crashing, The Clown of God, and Dr. De Soto. We have quite a few special effects teams. I have... Four Ward Productions, they help with the miniature effects. Amalgamated Dynamics, they help with the creature effects. Art Brewer Special Effects. Fantasy Two Film Effects, they help with the visual effects in this film. Illusion Arts, they were responsible for the matte paintings. International Special Effects. MB Special Effects Incorporated, they help with, of course, the special effects. Our producers were Gail Ann Hurd, Brent Maddock, and S.S. Wilson. Production companies were Universal Pictures. They helped present this film. No Frills Film Production, Wilson Matic Production, and Stampede Entertainment. Distributors were Universal Pictures. They helped for the 1990 USA Theatrical Release. And United International Pictures, the UIP, they helped with the 1990 UK Theatrical Release. The budget for this film was an estimated $11 million dollars. Opening weekend, dated January 21st, 1990, it made $3.7 million here in the States. It grossed statewide $16.66 million. And if you add in the cumulative worldwide gross, you're looking at $48.5 million. Nice little return. It didn't have quite the box office success it wanted, but it was a huge smash once it was released for rental. Oh, yeah. I'm a part of that, too. I Same. Yeah. I've got a few release dates. January 19th, 1990 here in the States. June 29th, 1990 in the UK. There are three taglines I have associated with this film. You know, I like my taglines, and I like when there's more than one. Yeah. Preferably. Especially because some of them are shit. Totally. And some of them are super long and make it seem like a different film. All right. So the three that I have associated with Tremors are as follows. Number one. The monster movie that breaks new ground. <laughs> I really like that one. <laughs> Number two. They say there's nothing new under the sun, but under the ground? Uh, okay. And number three. The ultimate underground movie. It will leave you legless. Oh, somebody in marketing had a lot of fun with this movie. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> All right. So those were the people responsible for behind the scenes. Now we can talk about the cast of Tremors from 1990. Okay, so... We already said Bacon. Kevin Bacon's in this movie. Not yes. only is Kevin Bacon in this movie. Now, I was thinking about it. Yeah. I think with Kevin Bacon's filmography, for a lot of people, they're Kevin Bacon... Is Footloose Kevin Bacon? Yeah, it depends on how far back you go. This is my Kevin Bacon. Hmm. This is not my Kevin Bacon. Before I even knew who Kevin Bacon was, it was in the Friday the 13th movie. Because I'd seen that as a kid, mm. prior to seeing this film. 
But I think as far as like knowing who he is, I would argue with you this might be like a, a more formal introduction. Yeah, this is my Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon, of course, most famous for the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, exactly. I was going to mention that. So there was a while back we covered Christopher Lee, and we talked about the fact of all these associations he has, and his degree of separation was less than three, I believe, or right there at it. Right, so I can go into the history of this a little bit. Okay, so the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon started off as kind of a parlor game based on Six Degrees of Separation. Exactly. And you would try to see how short you could connect Kevin Bacon to any given actor given the movies he's been in and shared with other actors. Kevin Bacon himself has a Bacon number of zero. There's zero moves to get to Kevin Bacon from him. Like actors that have worked directly with him, such as like Michael Gross in this movie, would have a Bacon number of one. Exactly. Because they're only one step removed from being Kevin Bacon. And then you go further and further out. An example would be Elvis Presley has a Bacon number of two. He was in Change of Habit with Ed Asner, and then Ed Asner was in JFK. Okay. With Kevin Bacon. Gotcha. Now... There was a time period, uh, when was this? Do I actually have a date? No, I don't have an actual date. However, Brett Jadden, I don't know how to say the dude's last name, Tiaden something, okay. while at the University of Virginia, created a website huh. that linked into the internet movie database so you could go in and actually wow, like, like figured out figure it out you know he had, he had the algorithm and everything linked to the internet movie database it is now at oracle of bacon i believe it's just cool. oracle of bacon.org okay i was actually lucky enough to stumble upon that back when it was still hosted on the university's website Dude, while nice. i myself was going to college me and my friends literally spent like a week straight of afternoons trying to find figure out actors with the highest bacon numbers we could like we kept trying going between ourselves just we're trying to outdo the other one by coming up with somebody that had to be further away from bacon than oh my god you you do not know how many movies zoolander i mean you do not know how many fucking bacon numbers the movie zoolander fucks up no kidding because there's so many weird cameos in that movie that that link people so quickly because we were trying to like we were thinking like kevin bacon okay like how are we going to get far away from kevin bacon in 2006 like so like paris hilton you would think right she's 2006 hardly been in anything she's in fucking zoolander and that links to like think of everybody that was in that fucking movie so many people in that film yeah so it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's like, damn, you fucking... We know. started really not liking what Zoolander was doing to all of our guesses because there's it's, so many weird off. cameos in that movie. Huh. That's just a weird little side nugget. We spent an entire week, though, on that website just trying to outdo each other with wow. finding people with higher bacon numbers. But I suggest, you know, just go into Oracle of Bacon and you can find out actors with high bacon numbers. That's pretty cool. And I think they have it set up now that you don't have to link to Kevin Bacon. You can be like christopher lee or whatever so still that's pretty neat hell yeah yeah it's interesting because i think a lot of people whether you know you associate kevin bacon through his films or just basically through this game (laughs) you know somebody's probably heard of it more than once i would imagine at this point oh and of course like when i was growing up and watching horror movies that's when he did like hollow man and shit so yeah oh my gosh what a film 
All right, so we are still talking about Bacon. He plays Valentine McKee in this film. We've already talked about a few of his films, Friday the 13th, Footloose. There's a film that had a all-star cast. It's a, it's a decent film. There was a remake. I heard it was complete ass. The film I'm talking about is Flatliners. That was mm. actually one of the first films I do remember him from now that I think about it. We talked about JFK. There was another film because it was a basketball film. There's a film called The Air Up There. Totally remember him from that. Oh Jesus, yeah. yeah. See, and that's the thing. Which he was in Disney film. He was in so many movies in a small time period across such a range of genres. Exactly. That's sort of why the six degrees of Kevin Bacon sort of caught on. Like Oh, no doubt. Mm-hmm. He went on to do films such as Apollo 13. Here's something I was talking to you about, and this is where my sister she no longer associates with Kevin Bacon. The Woodsman? That's one of them. Okay. There was one before that. There was a film that starred a couple of child actors, one of them being Brad Renfro. It's a film called Sleepers. Excellent film. Highly recommend it. It's a long film. Really good. But he played a, a juvenile detention guard, almost like a prison guard, but for juvies. And he, and along with some other actors, of course there were characters in that film, did some perverted things to some kids. Anyhow, that was one of the films. The other one you already said, The Woodsman, where he played a pedophile. <laughs> so she's like, she always associates Kevin Bacon with chomo roles. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, I can't watch that. I was like, that's only two films. He's See, been in so many films. I'm telling you, this is my Kevin Bacon. So whenever I see Kevin Bacon in another movie... I just get disappointed when graboids don't show up. <laughs> you know, right? All right. We're still talking about Mr. Bacon. There was a horror film. I think kind of rejuvenated some of the uh, further roles for him. But he was in a film called Stir of Echoes. It's pretty decent. I mean, oh, not yeah, great, I remember but that movie. Yeah, good movie. He was in that. You already talked about Hollow Man. <laughs> he was in films such as Mystic River, Death Sentence, X-Men First Class. He Sebastian was in, Shaw. Yeah. He was in television series such as The Following, I Love Dick. You won't hear me say that very often. And he was also in the 2018 Tremors film, which I believe just came out, like, not very long ago. All right. So the next major actor I've got in this film is Fred Ward. He plays Earl Bass. He's a partner with Kevin Bacon's character. And Earl Bass has some really cool credits. Now... It took me a little while to kind of, what we're talking about, like, go back. When did I first remember him? Couldn't really put my finger on it, so I'll uh, I'll talk about some old films where you might have seen him from. One film in particular I thought was great. We talked about certain films that we enjoy. One is uh, Escape from Alcatraz. Great film. He was in that. He was in a film called Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. A film called Thunderheart. I don't Over know. the hills, Thunderheart. Yeah, I was like, I started thinking about that. I was like, I don't know if I would have recognized. I probably would have now, but I don't know, because I've seen that film. Then he was in Naked Gun 33 and one third, The Final Assault. I was like, I might have recognized him in that. Can I tell you the only other thing I for sure would will always recognize him from? I'm listening. He's Joe's dad. Yeah. I mean, in Joe Dirt. <laughs> if you need a direct reference, yeah, that's Joe Dirt's Diddy. <laughs> Which I thought was fucking hilarious, man. Or Leo Corgan in Corky Romano. Uh, how about a film? Because I want some cookies. Road Trip. Oh, yep. He's in Road Trip. He was also in The Crow Salvation. You mentioned Corky Romano. I definitely remember him in that. <laughs> he starred in, I believe, a few episodes of ER. And there was a film I like, too, that has Nick Swartzen and someone who got in trouble a little bit, Aziz Ansari. He's mm. in a film called 30 Minutes or Less. 
Oh, yeah, I saw that. That was a good movie. I fucking enjoyed the shit out of it. I thought it was goofy. It's funny, though. I like it. It's a good stoner comedy. Has uh, Danny uh, McBride? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's in it, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, I have Finn Carter. She plays Rhonda LeBeck. Now, she didn't have very many credits that I have. I did have that she was in As the World Turns. She was in a television series. She was in a film called How I Got Into College. You might have seen her on China Beach, the television series. ER and Judging Amy. Now, there's a big name. And if you grew up in the same time period as you and I grew up in, you might be familiar with Michael J. Fox in a television series called Family Ties. Because this actor, Michael Gross, played Stephen Keaton, which is Mr. Keaton, of course, on the show Family Ties. But he plays Burt Gummer in this film. I'll admit, Family Ties was never quite my bag. Thanks to the lineup of, like, Nick at Night and shit at the time, I could have watched it. (laughs) But I didn't really. No, I think I was young enough, if you want to say it that way, where when that show was still kind of relevant, I thought I, I think I caught mostly reruns in like the mid '80s. But I do remember watching it specifically for Michael J. Fox. And so, anyhow, you might have also seen him in such films as Vanilla Ice's Cool as Ice. <laughs> it's like I have to write that down. He lent his voice in Batman the Animated Series. He also lent his voice in Batman beyond the movie and the television series he reoccurred in the television series er as john jack carter jr you might have seen him do some work in the drew carey show how i met your mother he was also in a few episodes of tim and eric's he was also responsible for one of his roles actually i think he was a narrator now i think about it he was a narrator in tim and eric's billion dollar movie and he has actually been in every single adaptation of Tremors. All the movies, including the television series. All right, now we've got a country singer, country megastar, who is in this film. You might know her by the name of Reba McIntyre. Here's your one chance. She plays the wife of Michael Gross's character. She plays Heather Gummer. Now, she has been in several films, man. There's an Elijah Wood film I remember her from. She was in a film called North. Pretty damn decent film. She also had an appearance in... A classic television series that got turned into a movie in the 90s, The Little Rascals. She lent her voice in Hercules, the television series. She was in a film called One Night at McCool's. She also did some voice work in The Fox and the Hound Part 2. Charlotte's Web, the 2006 adaptation. I think she was the cow. She also was in the television series Reba, of course named after her. She was in the television series Malibu Country. Now, here... (laughs) Here's something. This is fucking weird. There was an animated cartoon I'd seen as a kid. I'm pretty sure all children seen it at one time or another. But the movie I'm talking about is The Land Before Time. Right. Now, for those who are wondering how many of those fucking movies were made, I can attest there was at least 14. Because she lent her voice in the 14th one. (laughs) Whoa. What? Yeah. I was like, I might have tapped out around two or three. What? I had no clue. So yeah, there's I at knew least that 14 had, of them. I knew that they had done at least six or seven, but I would have guessed that they finished at nine. <laughs> yeah, it blew my mind too. Of course, you might have seen her. She, and along with a lot of like comedians and actors, they've done different portrayals of the Colonel, Colonel Sanders that is, for these KFC commercials. It's like, you're still not going to get me to buy that shit. So anyhow, you might have seen her do that. But yeah, that was kind of neat. She does a good job. If you didn't know it, you probably wouldn't even know she was a country singer. Uh, see, that's the thing. I 
don't like country music for I'm the not most a part. Fan at all, dude. But Reba's always been kind of a part of my life because yeah. of how much I've seen this movie. Because I loved Little Rascals as a that fucking child. So good, man. So I rewatched that movie a lot. Yeah, that's what um, I definitely watched. And a then lot. even into my adulthood, like that, like four years or whatever, I worked at Kmart. There was a lot of times that the time of our break coincided with Reba being on TV in the yeah, break room. It's like a mid-afternoon show. So I'd end up catching some fucking Reba because it's what was on. That's like, not bad. I mean, I'm. It was always either it was always either Reba or Will and Grace. I liked them both. Yeah, I mean, they're both fun in their own yeah. regards. You know, for me, she's always been an actress, not a musician. I know, and that's kind of the funny thing is, is like she does such a good job of acting that you forget that she's a fucking mega country star. Mm-hmm. Which I think you know, you talked about like I'm not a country fan by any stretch, and anyhow, but I'm very familiar with a lot of her songs. So. Moving on, unfortunately for Mrs. McIntyre, we do have several other actors. One I'm going to mention because you were talking about this a little bit before the show, but the actress Charlotte Stewart plays Nancy in this film, and she has some really interesting credits. She goes way back. God damn it, it pisses me off because every time I look at her, I recognize her, and I know where I recognize her from, but I can't remember her role. She was in an episode of The Office that I know I've seen 30 plus wow. times literally <laughs> it's one of those things you don't really associate maybe extras or just bystander actors until we get credits like these and there's like holy shit where the what i know what you mean all right so i said she goes way back one show that i had in particular that she appeared in i'm not sure how many times but she was in the show my three sons she was in a david lynch film highly recommended she was in a racer head she plays mary x she went on to star in The Little House on the Prairie as Eva Badel. She was also in Twin Peaks. She played the character of Betty Briggs. She reprised her role in the, I think, 2017, you know, Twin Peaks re-update. Mm-hmm. You might have seen some of her work on the television series Coach. She was also in Firewalk With Me, which is a part of Twin Peaks. She was in Slums of Beverly Hills. You had mentioned The Office, the return episode. And uh, that's pretty much what I got for her. She has a little bit of time in this. Not too much, but still worth mentioning. The next character I have written down is Miguel. It's played by Tony Gennaro. You might have seen some of his work in a Lou Diamond Phillips film called La Bamba. I also think Mask of Zorro. Yeah, he was in The Mask of Zorro. And Mighty Joe Young. (laughs) He certainly was. He was in Anger Management. You might have also seen him in Heart and Souls, which I mentioned earlier. He was also in The Craft. And a film called Phenomenon. Now, here's... Oh, hey, never forget. He was in World Trade well, Center. I, I almost wrote that down. I was like, ooh. Never forget. <laughs> never forget movie. <laughs> All right. Child actors. Because there's a few. The first one I'm going to mention is Ariana Richards. She plays Mindy. She's not in this for very long. You might recognize her as the pogo stick girl. Now, Ariana, she was in some really interesting films. One franchise in particular. I didn't look up her credit. I I didn't know this was her. I didn't know that was her until I looked up her I didn't know this was her. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. So, before we mention the huge one, she goes back a little bit. She was in a Keenan Ivory Wayne's film called I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. She was in a film called Spaced Invaders. And then, she got a major break outside of this film, but a huge mega hit what yeah spielberg film 
She played Lex in Jurassic Park. She's Lex Murphy. Yeah. That's insane. That's crazy, dude. There's a little bit of trivia later on I'm going to mention that's funny, and it involves her. But Ariana also went on to star in Boy Meets World, I think, for an episode or two. She reprised her role in The Lost World, Jurassic Park. She also reprised her role in Tremors 3, Back to Perfection. So those are some of the movies and credits you might have seen her in. Next actor I have, he's in it not uh, for very long. I do want to say that yeah. she has gone on to become a successful artist. Oh, She absolutely. does uh, impressionistic paintings. That's pretty cool. So, good for her. Yeah, hell yeah. That's pretty um, awesome. Yeah, we're kind of liking my thing, few, but there's something. It's still pretty that nice. That she did. Yeah. Very nice. So, yeah, she's multi-talented. Next actor I have is Richard Marquis, who plays Nestor. There is a few films, not very many, but there was one in particular because we mentioned this before, but he was in Enemy Mine. Highly recommend it if you're in sci-fi. He was on the television series, which many of these actors were. I didn't really write down every one of the actors that were on this show, but if you've ever watched Saint Elsewhere, you would have recognized him as Ralph. He was also on the television series The Pretender. I think he did a few episodes of the television series 24, and he was also in the television series Hawthorne. Another actor I want to mention, really cool actor for various reasons. I have Victor Wong who plays Walter Chang. Go fucking figure, right? You mean you wrote down you have Egg Shen? Egg, yes. <laughs> egg as in Big Trouble in Little China's Egg Shen. He gets one of those best things I like to impersonate with the eye and shit. <laughs> yeah, so if you haven't seen him in Big Trouble in Little China, you might have seen him in The Golden Child. If not that, you might have seen him in The Last Emperor, another horror film called Prince of Darkness. Let's see, and he was also Mori Tanaka in Three Ninjas. I had him. He reprised his role in Three Ninjas, The Kickback, Knuckle Up, and High Noon at Mega Mountain. And I believe those were some of his last appearances in film. Because uh, I think he Which is kind of depressing, but... Yeah. <laughs> it could have been worse. Yeah. Could have been worse, man. All right, moving on from Mr. Wong... Can do no wrong. I have Sunshine Parker. He's in this film for all of just a few seconds. He plays Edgar, but you might have recognized him as the film Roadhouse. He plays Emmett. He was in Pee Wee's Big Adventure as the hobo. I have him written down in any which way you can in a George Burns film. Actually, Oh God, book two. It's a pretty good film. Dude, I kind of like those Oh God. I was thinking about those earlier this week, that it's been a long time since I've seen any of those. like George Burns. If you don't know who he is, he looks like the fucking Monopoly guy with a cigar in his mouth. (laughs) That's basically what I remember him as. All right. I have a few other actors and actresses written down. I have Michael Dan Wagner. He plays Old Fred, another one of those characters was in it just for a few moments. You might have seen him in Billy Jack Goes to Washington, and he also was in an episode of Quantum Leap. Conrad Bachman, he plays Jim, the doctor in this film. He goes back a little bit. He was in a exploitation film called Foxy Brown. He was in Portrait of a Hitman, the film Outbreak, The Astronaut's Wife, and Rules of Engagement. Next actress I've written down is B.B. Besh. She plays Megan, which is the doctor's wife. B.B. Besh is in a fantastic movie called Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan as Dr. Carol Marcus. Yeah, absolutely right. I almost thought you were going to say Steel Magnolias because she was also Steel Magnolias. You might have seen her in a werewolf movie called The Pack. She was in a disaster film called Meteor. She was in another film called The Beast Within. 
You might have seen her in Madonna's Who's That Girl? And she also appeared in an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Another child actor I have written down is Robert Jane. I believe he goes by Bobby Jacoby. And the reason why, I had to read a little bit. Well, I was like, why the fuck did he change his name? It had nothing to do with another actor having his name. His mother said that he and his siblings changed their name because they thought that Jane was too feminine. So they went with Jacoby instead. So anyhow, he plays Melvin Plug. He's kind of the uh, asshole teenager in this film. I wrote down some credits for him. There was one in particular I definitely recognize him in, but I went back a little bit. I go back with a television series called Kids Incorporated that was on the Disney Channel. Had a lot of child actors. I think even Fergie was in that for a little bit. Uh, he was in a movie called The Zoo Gang. You might have seen him in Iron Eagle. He appeared in different strokes as Ricky. He was in an episode of The Wonder Years, a film, a really weird film called Meet the Applegates. has um, Ed Bakley Jr. in it. Highly recommend it. He was in Night of the Demons Part 2. The film I definitely recognize him from because he was a part of Seth Green's little crew in the film Can't Hardly Wait. He was one of those little thug white boys. <laughs> oh, shit. I was like, damn, that's That's him? hilarious. Yeah. He was in the movie Pearl Harbor, and he reprised his role. Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he reprised his role as Melvin in Tremors Part 3 and the television series. So that was kind of cool. Two other actors, they're in it because they're road workers, but they have I was going to say, uh, one of them was intensely familiar to me. John Pappas? John Pappas was Leo Sullivan in Days of Our Lives mm-hmm. around 1994. I would have been about seven years old <laughs> and very often was going to my grandma's after school oh, oh, where she was watching poppers, Days of Our Lives. Uh, I saw a lot of, like, Leo Sullivan. I probably did as well, because my grandmother got down on a lot of daytime soap operas. I didn't know any of the people, but I probably recognized their characters. So, I was like, oh shit. Like, watching now with, like, a little bit more critical eye, I was like, I know one of those road workers. fucking funny, dude. (laughs) Yeah, he was in Days of Our Lives. He was also in the television series Hardball, and he... Well, I won't say he reprised his role. He appeared in Tremors Part 3, but I think he had a different character that he played <laughs> for obvious reasons, which we'll delve into later. The other actor and the last one I have that rounds out the cast is John Goodwin. He plays the other road worker. He played Howard. He appeared in a few films. I didn't write down those films. What I did write down is he's more well-known for being a part of makeup departments in a lot of films. I have a few written down because they're very notable. You might have seen some of his handiwork in The Thing. He also did some work in the film Legend. You might have seen some of his work on the film Critters, Spaceballs, The Incredible Hulk, which I believe was like uh, the Lou Ferrigno one, a couple of TV movies. He also did some makeup work in The Communion, and he also did some makeup work in Men in Black. That was kind of neat. So there's some really interesting people, which I'm going to mention later on. Otherwise, we'd be spending all time (laughs) in this particular category. But we gave you a synopsis. We told you who helped behind the scenes, the cast. Now we got to give you some warnings. Before we give warnings, Mm -hmm. can I give one more synopsis? Yeah, of course. It's Jaws. But in the Nevada desert. <laughs> oh, my, that's funny. There's one scene in particular that definitely feels like that. 
plus the poster, which I have up very wide yeah, on screen uh, right now. Too. And it's pretty obvious when you look at it. <laughs> One of the titles, when they were trying to decide on a title for this film, was Land Sharks. <laughs> Shit, that's funny. Okay, I'm so... Glad they didn't choose that one. <clears throat> warning. Big worm-like creatures. Yes. Underground. Not a lot of blood. There's some But good there's a gore, little bit. A little blood here and there. Most of the chunkier gore is obviously... Effects. I mean, it's just throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, because like, there's like some cheap ripped apart and stuff. Yeah. But you don't see much except for like a little bit of wool and yeah, that's like a good point. blood. Yeah. A little bit of animal violence. But later when you see yeah. like chunks, it's chunks of the creatures. And since their blood is orange, it doesn't like it doesn't have the same effect. Exactly. You know what I mean? I totally yeah. agree with that. Here's something funny, which is another bit of trivia. No, there is some language. At one point, there was like 22 odd F-bombs. We're going to get into that. That's what I'm getting at. So keep that in mind. They got toned down is what I'm getting at because this is a PG-13 film. But at one point, there was like 22 F-bombs. That's what I'm saying. There's a little bit of cursing, a little bit of physical violence, not much. There's explosives. If you don't like, I don't know, being in the desert or isolation with just a few people. That's what all I can really say about that. I don't know. What else? I, I don't... The fucking... If you don't like construction... The ground is lava. <laughs> yeah, no, right. the ground is lava. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a fair warning. I mean, this is very tame in comparison to what we have done more recently and in the past. It's so fucking fantastic. Uh, let's get into how this made us squeal. Are you ready to squeal? Squeal. God, what's happening to me? Oh God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what? What's going on? Oh, Jesus, come on. Oh my god, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh gee, why? Why? Come on. Somebody, somebody. Ah. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir. Come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's gotta be there. I will shock you. Come on. Sir. Come on, Sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? We squealing. And I think this time with a lot of delight. Dude, this movie has been one of my favorites for, like, almost as far back as I can remember. It's another one, too, that going into this episode, you know, prior to that episode, leaving off from last episode, we were kind of unsure what we wanted to do. You had made the recommendation. I was like, immediately, I was like, yep, yep. fuck yeah. Tremors, it is. All right, so yeah, for you, let's hear it, Tremors. Tremors. We talked about the fact that it didn't have a huge box office success, but when it came out to rent, and in those days it was VHS and or Laserdisc, <laughs> I was definitely a part of the fandom that started because of the VHS. I would watched it, rented it several fucking times, just because it was fun. It was one of those films that, like, anytime it was on whether it's HBO or just, you know, it could have been on just basic cable at that point. I would have watched it, man. Mm -hmm. So I started probably when this came out, we said January of 1990. So whenever it came out, probably like six months later sometime in that summer. Yeah, I was immediately watching it with my siblings. Yeah, let's see. It came out in 90, early 90, when I would have been like two and a half years old. <laughs> so probably don't remember it. I don't remember it as then, well. but that also means that like, it's always kind of been around. It would have started a show on TV when I was like three or four. 
and has always sort of been there. Yeah. And like you said, basic cable. I did notice that was one of the things because I have seen it on TV more than I'd seen it on video. I have seen it on video as well, but what I'm most familiar with in my mind is it being cut down even more, even less swearing. Completely understandable. And we alluded to the fact that because of so many F-bombs initially, they wanted to cut it down. And I think they only used just a few. And there were several where there was some overdubbing, some ADR. I made a note. <laughs> they were so obvious, Well, first, too. there was some cuts where then there was ADR in the background and you never get to hear them say it. Oh, yeah. The Mother Humper was the first so one that obvious. I caught. Yeah. And I was like, okay, whatever. I can still imagine Bert saying Mother Humper. Yeah. Whatever. But then if you watch Kevin Bacon's lips when he repeats it back to him, absolutely not what you say. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And then like just five minutes later, I had to make another note because as they're talking about the fucking graboids underneath them, as like the entire town is up on the roofs, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ADR if you're paying attention to their lips yes, because they are fucking cussing out those worms in that scene. And I'm like, did they have to reshoot like this entire fucking scene? Like, yeah, no, there's I mean, a lot of cuts where like you don't get to actually see who's talking. You just get to see point. reaction shots and stuff. Completely up. You certainly do. And I just, caught that too. Yeah, there's a lot of ADR in this movie. And I had, I started, I was like, I didn't look up the fact that they toned it down and used ADR to cover it up. I just wrote down, like, it's very obvious that at one point in this script, they were dropping the F-bomb like every other word. Yeah, so because we're talking about that, you can look this information up on the database. But originally, it was an R-rated film by the MPAA. And not because of the violence and weird, because we said there was like 20-something. PG-13, you get one fuck, right? One or two, I think, yeah, tops. I think they said there's two utterances of the I think there's I think there's only a few movies that, have, that are PG-13 that have gotten away with more with than F-bombs? one fuck. Um, I can go ahead and mention one off the top of my head. No, with more than one. Oh, more though. than one. Okay, gotcha. Most of the time, they get one, and so they use that it strategically. Man. It's the strategic F-bomb that they just drop in the, in the one spot that they get to use it. Yeah, um, good point. I think there's like only a handful of PG-13s that have gotten away with multiple wow. fucks. Of course, this is in the PG-13 era. Yeah, it certainly is. Because that wasn't always a rating. As we've talked about, there are movies yeah, with like really interesting, isn't it? nudity that are PG. <laughs> Cock and balls. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so it's interesting how the ratings board kind of adapted, you know, all these different categories for films. But I think for this one, PG-13 is probably appropriate, given the fact, you know. Now, despite the language for me growing up, this was a movie that even the more conservative parents of my friends would let us still watch. (laughs) I'm not going to speculate why. (laughs) It's overall just... I was going to say, maybe because Reba was in it. Maybe because Reba. And maybe I don't think that was it, though. See, here's the thing. For me growing up, this movie actually ties into how I learned what Gage refers to in shotguns. Yeah. And how that works. Kind of neat, yeah. I mean, when you first learn it, that is, yeah. Because I was trying to remember exactly who it was. Every one of my friends I would have been hanging out with at the time that I learned this, and I know that we were watching it together like at a sleepover or something, every one of their fathers would have known it from the scene and been able to explain it on the spot. But we were sitting there talking about the elephant gun. Yeah. 
we're gonna start just jumping around this movie now, but that like, that. that that scene <laughs> that is so happens. fucking dope. First off, now here's something interesting before we get too much in, involved with that. But that was actually a lint gun. Somebody, yes. yeah, somebody lent them. To uh, they're a bit rare to find. That is an eight gauge shotgun. That was obviously not firing shot. No, 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 no. They had to construct those like little dummy bullets. The, yeah, those are dummy cartridges. The real version would have been thin brass. A lot of those larger gauge fire paper cartridges, like a shotgun, even if they are firing like slugs, or even some of them rifled shells. Yeah. Most of them use paper cartridges, but you'll find some with like thin brass and stuff. So that would have been thin brass. Absolutely. And we were just talking about it and trying to figure out what it was, because we all were into guns. We all grew up with guns. I was given my first gun at age five, because this is we Montana. Are in Montana. <laughs> but the character of Bert was kind of a character thought to be good for us to look up to, partially for the reason that throughout all of the movies, he exercises proper gun safety at all times. He does. He even fucks up a character in this film with that. Okay, so we're going to jump ahead really quick. <laughs> yeah. You're obviously when he hands the gun to to the kid. To the kid yeah. Malfoy. And it turns out to be empty. One of the interesting things to note cuz you could miss it if you're not looking to pay attention to this sort of thing when the kid gives it back to him, even though he handed it to him specifically empty just to give him courage and get him to get off the fucking rock and run. Yeah. Or was it the rock or was that that little boulder? Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 When he gets it back, he still pops open the cylinder and rechecks to make sure that it's empty. Smart. That's proper gun safety. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what we're all raised to do. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael Gross has said that he's very proud of the fact that his character has always exercised proper gun safety throughout all of the movies. It's awesome. Yeah, he's appeared in all of them. He's appeared in all of them. He's been a giant gun nut in all of them. He's been usually the reason for their survival in all of them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you look at his character as a whole, like he is the more thoughtful, planned out. He's a prepper. That's what he does. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely a prepper. Now, because we're talking about Michael Gross, this is kind of interesting, too. I found out that it was like almost the day after. The day after. Uh, Family Ties, like its last episode, he... Started um, yeah, filming, started on, filming this. on this. I'm like, God damn, boy, that's some work ethic. Another little interesting when note. Go, went from going being the super or the ultra liberal yeah, parent kidding, right? to gun nut prepper. Yeah, I, I, I was almost going to say doomsday, but I don't think it's that drastic, but it's was, on the verge. Oh, they were making all the jokes about World War Three. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> here's something that's cool too about his character and just about him in general is. That SUV that they're using, that was his. That was his personal car. I think they said he got it during filming of Family Ties all the way up to the 90s. He liked that model so much, he bought himself another one. (laughs) So that's what he drives. He's like, he just loves that fucking car. So his elephant gun, me and my friends, probably around the age, oh, I don't know, somewhere between 8 and 13. Okay. Sitting around at night talking about that entire scene, how awesome all those guns were, because we were all brought up with guns. guns. All of all of our parents had guns. Some of their parents were actually collectors and have quite a large amount of guns. (laughs) Given, yeah. I'm not. I'm talking like twenties and up of guns. (laughs) Wow. Most of them more like are literally like collection pieces, like. Yeah, quite understandable. Old shotguns, like super old shotguns and stuff. So it was kind of hard for me to remember who exactly gave us the information and explained it to us and what it was. I want to say it was my buddy Jack's dad. 
when we were watching it at his place one time. We watched this movie a lot. <laughs> Explain 8-gauge. Okay. Most people know that 12-gauge is the most common. Obviously, it appears in a lot of video games. You hear it you know, just referenced thrown around, all referenced the time, all the yeah. time. 8-gauge is bigger when you're talking about shotgun gauges. Lower number is larger. Interesting note. So is electrical wires. <laughs> and what it refers to is the interior diameter of the bore... If you take a sphere of lead, that same diameter, it takes eight of them to be heavy enough to be one pound. Oh, that's interesting. So 12 is smaller. Exactly. So it takes 12 of those spheres to be one pound. And it's because cannons were referred to by the pound shot that they fired. And so when you started going into smaller, then you had other ways that you had to gauge it. That gauge. Nah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and then caliber-wise, that would be the equivalent of about... Well, it would be an 835. So it would be rounded up an 84 guy. caliber bullet. That's a big fucking guy. Rounded up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's call it elephant gun for a fucking reason. Okay, we're going to go a little bit kind of sad for a minute. If you were actually hunting elephants back when, you know, these kind of guns were actually being manufactured... Yeah. You would use larger than an 8 gauge... 8-gauge was what the most versatile and what you would use for most of the dangerous game if you were like a safari hunter in Africa in the 1920s, because, you know, that was part of life back then. That's what they did. But if you were going for elephant, you were probably going to be going more like 2-gauge, 4-gauge, 6-gauge. Jesus. Which are all very rare, like, museum pieces now for the most part. Yeah, exactly. Those are some monsters, dude. Yeah, I can't even imagine. And because of that, that maybe is one of the only screw-ups in this movie, is when he fires that, I have a feeling that if he fired it from the hip in real life, he would probably break his wrists. I I was thinking that, too. I was like, for the size of that fucking... He would need that shouldered and probably... You're still going to be hurting with that shouldered. You're going to be hurting a lot with that shouldered. Yeah, he would have... You're probably breaking out. your fucking wrists if you're if you're trying to hip fire God, that thing. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Especially growing up like around guns the way we did, mm-hmm. that whole scene we used to just like pause it and be like, "Look at all of this. This is just wonderful." <laughs> there are several moments in this film during that sequence, like where he and Reba McIntyre shoot that goddamn graboid. From what I understood is like that gun rack that they had that they had to change it several times because of its locations. They had difficulties doing that, but that's not really what I'm going to talk about. It's just the fact that they had so many different handguns, rifles, pistols, fucking you know, you name it. They had it. They were ready. They were prepared. I liked it, and they were witty too. I mean, they improvised what I had like pipe bombs, basically. Oh yeah. Oh man, I was really fucking dope. They kind of MacGyvered it up there on the roof, too. They kind of did the step-by-step. There is the one screw-up in gun safety in that scene, though. It's not Bert's fault, though. Well, I mean, you can share the blame between him and Reba. Right. Because the flare gun is kept loaded on the wall. Oh, she doesn't have to point. load it. She just pulls it off, and it's already ready to go. Yeah, that's not safe. <laughs> that's not safe. But all the other ones, you'll notice, they're having to load and shit when they're picking them up. Magazine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had their ammo box. They were ready. It was all legit. 
That's pretty awesome to know that there is, you know, that continuity. Like there's not much deviation from the real thing. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, man. He's a really strong character, and they're the reason why he's throughout the franchise. Here's something we talked about Bacon. Apparently, I think after one of the screenings of this film, he wasn't really happy with this film. He's like, Really? Yeah, apparently he's like, I can't believe I did a worm film. <laughs> but I was thinking, man, he does a good job in this film. His play between Fred Ward and himself, like, they're perfect, man. Duo together. Throughout the oh. entire film, man, they're fun. Oh, they were a lot of fun. I would gladly watch more movies with those two, just kicking back as those characters. Joe Dirt's daddy and Kevin Bacon? A little bit dumb, but hardworking and ingenious enough to get by. They're relatable as, yeah, as yeah. people, you know, they're not far-stretched. Oh, I found this movie to be extremely relatable. All the characters. Yeah, all the characters felt like people I kind of grew up with. Yeah. I come from a small town. That's a very, very, very small town. you remember town. the population of the small town of perfection? 14. 14 people. However, there yeah. are towns that small here in Montana. Oh, fucking, I believe it, dude. When I took the train out here, you go through, like, the northern part of the state, and I totally believe it, because there are some spots that's, like, super desolate. Yeah, it all kind of reminded me of my growing up. Yeah. Perfection looked pretty fucking ransacked. I'm not going to say my hometown <laughs> looked like that. No, but the people that. looked like yeah, people. Exactly. They didn't, I don't know, for a town that size, if you want to call it a town, they didn't play them down. They mm-hmm. made them look, like you said, just like people you can relate to. They even had the token Asian guy <laughs> at a fucking market. <laughs> but I thought it was kind of neat that there were so many recognizable actors, too, you know, looking back at it now, which is, for me, it's like, man, I mean, it kind of strengthens the film in a sense. Because each one of these actors, they do fine in their character, and you don't feel like they're overdoing it. Oh, no. I love the Jaws shot out. Yeah. That was pretty great. That was super obvious, too, and I, I kind of liked it, too. It's like, oh, shit, Quint. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Uh, Graboids, in general, are one of my favorite like creatures. So I wish the Tremors movie, let's be honest, they got kind of shitty. I'll still watch any of the sequels. But compared to even to this first one, they're not. They're not that great. They're, I mean, they're fun. You know, if you know what you're getting yourself into, but don't oh, expect yeah, yeah. a whole lot. And that's the thing. I know what I'm getting myself into. Yeah. So I sit there and enjoy them every time. But if you want to look at them in the bigger picture, they're not that good. I hate to say it this way too, but they're. I mean, it's pretty predictable. You know what you're going to get. Yeah. You know. It's pretty obvious. That being said, I still love how much they've fleshed out the Graboids. I want somebody big and flashy to sort of take this. Either that or somebody really tied in and make it like super, maybe not super dark. Because yeah. the fact that this was all done like out in the light was kind of a I fun like thing that. about this movie. I like that. And there was a few <clears throat> moments of, of the dark, but not, I mean, I, what do you think? Like 95% of this film was shot in the day? It's hard to make the suspense like that happen in the light yeah. and they found a way to do it just by making the ground lava that is super unique <laughs> i think the only other film i could think of that maybe used that aspect was john carpenter's vampires they shot a lot during the day mm-hmm. but not as much as this but it, it has a great payoff because the fact that the creatures are underground you don't have to worry about it they're already dark as it is but with the feelers the snake bits yeah yeah they always seemed really clumsy to me. And it's kind of the appeal. It's kind of neat that they're just sort of like flopping around and figuring things out. But I just really want somebody with kind of flashy vision yeah. and modern effects to be able to just take them and have like, 
really like fucking wreck buildings and they have the capability and, we've seen it and really tie everything about the Grabwood life cycle together from the get-go. Yeah. What I'm saying is reboot this, motherfuckers. Oh, they totally And bring Michael Gross back in. It's like, I kind of do want to, you know, watch the others. I know that they're not going to be great. But what I'm curious about is if if they ever explain the fact how the fuck they got out in the desert in the first place. Okay, so, I know a little bit about Graboids, Danny. Okay, good. I came Uh, to the right spot. So I think the sort of vague explanation is that they do mention that the graboid eggs can lie dormant for even like hundreds of years at a time. Okay. So presumably they were just there from the last time an infestation popped up. Being the middle of the desert, it might have just died out naturally, not having enough food resources to go on. Who knows what the fuck happened. But Graboids follow a very weird life cycle that isn't completely explained, but they do have some theories out there as to how this all actually works. We see only the first part in this movie. I think it's the Graboid to Shrieker change is based on just time. I think once a Graboid has been around for a certain amount of days... As long as it's been able to feed in that time period enough to sort of keep itself alive, it then goes up on its surface, sort of waits to die, basically, and out of it rip the next form. And there's usually between three to six, and they're called shriekers. They hunt on the ground, not under, using infrared. Oh, shit. To see. And usually are more like pack hunters. They're not the giant size of a graboid, but you can tell they're related because they still have the sort of the same beak. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and they can, like I said, they're pack hunters, rip through shit, see infrared, called shriekers because when they sense on something, they fucking shriek out. If shriekers have enough to eat, then I think they just spit them out. It doesn't kill them like the transformation of graboid to shrieker. Gotcha. I think they just spit out like the eggs or the pupa or whatever of the next form, which is the ass blaster. Oh, damn. Which is basically a shrieker that can fly. The ass blaster contains, I think, or as they feed, they form the graboid eggs to then be dispersed when they die or something like that. I had no idea what this deep... (laughs) Not everything's been completely explained, but there's some theories that the graboid eggs actually are more of like a cluster of embryos. And what it is, is the first one to start developing as a graboid, then it changes the mission of the other ones, basically. Mm -hmm. And so the one develops as a graboid and the others lie dormant as parasitic twins within it. And it's once the graboid is able to act basically as a living incubator that the ones to turn into shriekers then start to develop. Huh, that's interesting. Which is how they're able to do multiples out of one graboid. Jesus. Is because they're all coming from separate eggs gotcha. anyway. Yeah, huh. Goddamn. <clears throat> <laughs> that's crazy. And then the amount of ass blasters that a shrieker can spit out is based on the amount of remaining embryos that has been allotted. Uh-huh from when they then turned into Shriekers, because each of them will then still have a reservoir of a number of embryos that they can spit out as they eat enough to be able to power to do so. That's lots of math. (laughs) Wait, it gets better. There's then an also... (laughs) Then also, 
an African species of graboid. Oh, damn. Who can more easily tunnel through rock. They're a little bit spikier. However, they don't have shriekers. They go to ass blasters. But... I've heard rumors of that. (laughs) They're overall more of a hive structure ruled by a graboid queen. Mm -hmm. The other difference, though, is that the snake tentacles are completely detachable and can independently go out. Okay, gotcha. Now, when a graboid first hatches, there is a juvenile stage that is still technically a graboid. It's not an entirely different stage like Shrieker or Nas Blaster. Yeah. But because of how small they are, they're able to actually like fully launch themselves through the air. And I believe they're called Sand Dragons? Damn. <laughs> this is gnarly. <laughs> it's like, that, this was a loaded question. I kind of like me some Tremors. I can see that. <laughs> I didn't realize there's this different many variations, like, through their development. Wow. So I can see why the fuck this franchise has survived for so long, if that's the aspect they're playing on it, too. And I think this latest one, which I haven't seen, right, has to do with somebody trying to weaponize Graboids, huh. but I'm not positive on that. Well, that's why I'm kind of curious to see how this franchise carried out. I mean, we even talked about the fact that there was a television series. I think the television series wasn't even well-received by fans of Tremors. I'm not positive on that. I'm not really deep in the Tremors fandom. But I think it also introduced another type called like a Mixmaster or something. But I know (laughs) nothing about Mixmaster. So that's what I'm saying. It'll be kind of curious and interesting to see how all that stuff developed throughout the franchise. That's why I want somebody who understands all of this from the get-go to... Man, they could form a story on it. Rather, they than, totally could. <clears throat> they could use all aspects of it. Because this was all just sort of built on over time. Like, oh, we can only do things with something that's underground for so long. So how do we have them still hunt people on the ground? And you yeah. know, that's where shriekers came from. That's and really interesting. You keep trying to up the stakes somehow, but now you have this very complicated life cycle. But somebody could come in and work with all of that to make a more well-rounded threat. I don't know how to even describe it, but I I feel like there's something there. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, given what you were just talking about, like all those different variations of the same creature just evolving over time, splintering off from itself. It's like, that's fucking gnarly. (laughs) No idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, cool. Like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing how it gets played out. But getting back to this film, the OG... There are some things I, I do like. I talked about the fact that I like the chemistry between Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, their characters. I think they did a great job. It was neat seeing even some of the side characters. Uh, I like the chemistry between Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward almost more than I like the chemistry between he and Val and Rhonda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, you can see that shit coming a mile away. You know, It was pretty obvious what they were doing. Well, and I think there is an alternate ending where they don't get together. It's left on a more ambiguous note, and it didn't te- and it didn't too. test well with audiences. So they reshot yeah. the big kiss ending. <laughs> okay, I can understand that, you know, but I don't think it was enough to like develop this romance. I like her though. She's she cool. Great. She's smart. She's resourceful. Yeah. She can handle herself around all this shit, which isn't something that's a guaranteed in this kind of movie. That's a good point. They don't make her out to be like just this airy, 
damsel in distress. Exactly. They gave not her... only that, but that's what Kevin Bacon wanted. Yeah, I and mean, that's who probably would have got them all killed. The funny thing about that, and I had it written down. It's like that's one of those lines you kind of have to write down. Is he has this picture of his ideal mate, his ideal girlfriend, wife, what have you, but he wants a woman with long blonde hair. Green eyes. Big green eyes. Big green eyes. Right. World-class breasts. And ass doesn't quit. And legs Legs that go all the way way up. (laughs) (laughs) And Fred Ward calls him out. He's like, yeah. He's like, those are the ones that are like, ow, my nails. (laughs) Yeah, and you're right. Would have got them killed. Would have got them killed. In a heartbeat, without a doubt. Yeah, so I like the fact that each one of these characters, they give their input on how they think they can carry out these plans and they're logical and you know if it's not, if it doesn't work or if it doesn't seem like it's going to work they'll call them out so these are examples of characters that actually aren't fucking stupid and get eat up i mean there's a few through circumstance though but for the most part i mean they're all capable yeah no i agree that was something else i was going to bring up was that it wasn't just her the rest of the town for the most part chips in a little bit yeah i mean there's of course there's a lot of comedy in this film so there's going to be a little you know goofy shit that happens throughout but for the most part there's good payoffs you want to think the funniest thing to me was i'm not sure how intentional it was but when they're doing the pole vaulting oh yeah yeah the soundtrack change in the background makes it sound like (laughs) some sort of like fucking teenage adventure story where they just like figured out how to get across the waterfall (laughs) i know right (laughs) here is something that is interesting about the composition of the music in this film is i said that the music composer is ernest troost they brought in another gentleman because of the way the music was going he's like the original guys his was more like country almost like super playful Okay, yeah. And then to ratchet it up, like the drama and the suspense and, you know, the moments that you do see the grab weight and stuff like that, they brought another gentleman in who got uncredited, but he was using more like orchestral pieces. So you do have this weird shift in the film with the music. Yeah, well, I think that was some of first guys, not second guys that I was oh, hearing. Oh, no, that's there. what I'm getting at. It's like the yeah. first guys for sure, the guy who actually gets credited with the music is there scenes with Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward where, I mean, he gets like that country kind of hokey. It leads you to believe this is almost, I don't know, going to be more comical than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, just like some dudes out on the ranch. But no. Oh, so, and one of the other neat things I did want to point out, yeah, in case nobody's ever noticed before, the opening scene mirrors the end. That's a good point, yeah. When we open with Kevin Bacon taking a piss off to the side where fucking Fred Ward is sleeping in the back of the truck, mm-hmm. the cliff that he's by is the cliff that he tricks the last graboid. He talked about the stampede. Off of. They talk about the stampede. That's where it's first brought up. All right. In almost the same exact spot. And not only that, but Fred Ward is in a sleeping bag that's almost the same color as the Graboids with a kind of pinkish inside. That's interesting. And when he gets scared by his stampede, he falls off the back onto the ground. No, that's interesting. Yeah, no, that's interesting you bring up because there, to me, there felt like there were certain parts in this film where they were kind of foreshadowing events. One of them in particular, I mean, outside of that one, that was a major one. 
was the fact that they found that old guy up at the top of that electrical pole. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, later on they figure out why he did it. There, the kid actually plays out a scene where he climbs the pole. They're climbing up, all that stuff. But I thought it was kind of interesting how a lot of that stuff was like it was already spelled out. You just kind of had to piece it together. Yeah, the pieces are already there. It's just kind of interesting how it all unfolds is what I'm getting at. But, yeah, that's a good example of it. I'm not positive on this, but I think that guy and... God, there's one other death in this movie. There's the sheep herder, the old man Fred. No, not that one. And then there's the doctor and his wife, where they're trying to skip town, and he gets sucked underneath. She gets in the car. There's that. There's the guy who gets sucked in from the tire. There's Fuck. the two road workers. He might be the, it. He might be just about the only oh, death. Or hmm? Chang. Chang. Yeah, yeah, the Jaws death. He might be one of the only deaths in the first at least three or four movies in this series mm-hmm. that doesn't directly come from getting eaten by a graboid. A good point. Almost every other death in these movies comes from being directly You know, eaten. that's a very good point because they say that he was dehydrated from staying out there for at least three or four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the fuck was he doing up there? We know. We know. I do love that the Graboids learn. That was something else that yeah. I always thought was cool. They couldn't just keep pulling the same tricks, and they kept, like... They I tried. loved them, like, fucking, like, figuring out the houses and shit and starting to, like, burn them it did. It gave and... them a competent adversary, even though it had a disadvantage in terms of... It didn't have eyes, but it knew enough of its, you know, how to function to adapt to his environment. Yeah, it was really cool how they did that. They even dug out that trench that fucked them up <laughs> later mm-hmm. on in the film. That was cool. Yeah, they just made him a very capable adversary. I've always thought that was cool. Fuck, I love Graboids. I want more Graboids. They are really cool, man. I liked the practical effects in this film. Mm-hmm. How they, you know, they emerge, how they actually incorporated using them to, you know, foil certain plots or scenes or just in general, man. Yeah, it was great. Great use of that. Very innovative, too. Some of the fucking with the trucks and shit yeah. looked really fucking cool. It was really good, man. I even, like, towards the beginning, the first impression that you get that these things exist is Rhonda's out there doing her seismographs, testing and whatnot. She's packing up, and she's going back to her truck, and you finally get to see it move underneath the ground towards her, and then it, you know, cuts away. But I was like, that's kind of neat, man, how they pull that shit off, too, in the mm-hmm. desert like that. Yeah, it's really cool. Shit, I don't know what else to do. I, I ran my mouth off about Graboids for like 10 minutes. I know, minutes, I know so. we talked a lot about the cast, but I think knowing that it's one of those films for you and I both that we grew up watching, they're still making them to this day, gives a credence to the fact that something that's unique, something that's also relatable, something that's played off old cinema, almost like drive through stuff, creature features, you know, they incorporate good humor, there's a weird shift in music, but the music alone, it's fine. Characters are all well done. I enjoy the shit out of it, man. Everything is relatable. It's practical. Like I just don't want it to keep wallowing in these endless sequels. Yeah. Somebody, nah, at a point, somebody yeah. take this concept and really have fun with it. Certainly could. It's a perfect franchise to do it with. Look, A Quiet Place just showed that like sound can be one of the scariest things ever. Sound, sound is just silence. fucking vibration. Yeah. Precisely. That's all. Frequency, vibration. Yeah. So here you go. Creatures that hunt by vibration. Go Dude. for it. Land sharks. Yeah, there's already foundation <clears throat> in this film for it. Yeah. Land sharks. Don't do Super it. fucked up life cycle. Land shark natoes. Yeah. <laughs> super super fucked up life cycle. Oh my God. Yeah, you already explained it. You spelled it out, dude. I thought it was awesome. 
no but it, they just get more dangerous as time goes on. You I can use that, that as a factor too. I'm surprised this hasn't been turned into like a video game franchise. Oh fuck, dude! When you were talking about that, like I started to envision all these creatures. Something like like Borderlands, but yeah, oh. they totally could. Dude. That'd be fun. Scratch my movie reboot. Somebody give me a really, really good game where I'm fucking just going to town shooting graboids like my name's fucking Burt Gummer. And you could, like, use the, the town characters as, like, people you partner up with throughout. You could. Make Reba do a voice. I'll do that. She could. I bet she would. <laughs> Hell, she did the fucking Land Before Time Part 14. I'm sure she would do this. There we go. I'm She's in. I'm down. Yeah, dude. So I don't know what we're doing next. I don't either, but <laughs> I'm glad we did this one. Like I said, it was one of those that, you know, like I said, we grew up with, man. It's just a good one to revisit. A lot of fucking fun. Yeah, I'm curious to see what we got picked out. We don't really have anything right now, but God, yeah, we're, it's fun. I like this. We've got plans coming up. But yeah, we're we not, certainly do, but we're trying to fill the gaps. Between. We, yeah, we got to fill the gaps, and so please keep listening to us. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, like please, don't be afraid to give us recommendations too while we're doing this. Give us recommendations. We're going to fill the gaps and get onto our schedule to the point where we have a schedule coming up. We certainly do. But it's still coming up. Until then, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us or go to our website and stream us down at the bottom or follow the links up at the top. And that's www.friedsquirms.com. You can check us out on our Facebook, Fried Squirms, our Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast. Our Twitter at Fried Squirms. Still tweet, tweet. You can email us squirmcast at gmail.com. You can message us on our website. That does work. Like I said, send us your recommendations, suggestions. If you want to collab, let us know. However, do yeah. it. Yeah. We're always open. Do it. Do, do it. it. Yeah. Do don't it. be afraid also to give us a review on iTunes. That's certainly helpful. And we love you all, and we're going to try to bring something cool next week, too. Oh, certainly. I'm having fun. Yeah, Tremors is great. Let's see what else we do. Yeah. In the meantime... <laughs> Fried Squirms, out. out.